Hello everyone and welcome back to the Rowdy Buddhist. It's so nice to be back with you. Uh, today I'm giving a sermon going back to the beginning of the Buddhist teachings with the Four Noble Truths. And today uh, we'll begin with the first of the four. But before we do that, I'd like to talk about a little bit of background for this teaching. Now, officially in Buddhism, this is the official, the first official teaching given to the Buddha after his enlightenment, uh, his full enlightenment, as we should state. And in this, he gives his first sermon, which was the turning of the Dhar the wheel of the Dharma, to the first five monk disciples at a place called Deer Park, uh, which is now known as Saranath in India. The Buddha saw these disciples who were originally the five ascetics uh, that were sent by Siddhartha's father uh, to look after him, in which they then became uh, actual practitioners of the yogic practice, yogic arts, yoga teaching. And uh, they then abandoned Siddhartha as he found the middle way and then continued on his practice to become the Buddha. And upon seeing them, seeing the Buddha in the distance approaching them, they then, of course, uh, had tried to avoid him and also had sometimes criticized him directly out loud to him and to others for his uh, returning to, as they thought, the sensual realm because of accepting, of course, the uh, milk rice gruel from the young maiden and actually taking a bath, etc., in the river. Uh, and, of course, we know this is the establishment of the Middle Way, but this was seen, of course, as giving up uh, the path to overcoming suffering uh, by the original teachings of that time. So as they saw the Buddha, they noticed something was different, that he was no longer Siddhartha. So they accepted this teaching and became his first five disciples of the Sangha. And we look at the noble truths as understanding the cure for the disease which we may call suffering and I'll use that general term until I clarify it a little bit later uh, in which we apply the medicine of our practice and the path of Buddhism to restore ourselves to our original health um, to our original set mindset which all Buddhists see as enlightenment. Now that definition of enlightenment, what the middle way is, what is the goal in Buddhism, of course, is depending on the tradition that you're practicing. And it's important, which we'll go through, that when we talk about this, I'm going to distinguish that a lot of people get stuck in going, studying Buddhism, for example, that if you go to a university, uh, when I took a university religions class on world religions, they gave Buddhism in the typical sequential idea of the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, etc. But as for the difference between the Theravadan and the Mahayana, and even, of course, uh, Nichiren Buddhism, we need to understand that within the context of our practice. So therefore, the understanding of the Four Noble Truths differs based on your practice. But most people, 
even if they are in a practice, don't understand it in context to their practice. So this is where sometimes uh, things get muddled and get confusing for people and seem somewhat contradictory. Um, but we'll go into that a little bit later. So first of all, the first noble truth as the first sermon was important to understand because now we can just go online and Google anything and get any teaching we want. We can order through Amazon any of the sutras that we wish to read or uh, you know, follow our desire of curiosity, etc., or our desire of wisdom or desire of knowledge. And we can easily get these teachings. But again, we need to understand in the context of Sangha, the context of teaching, that the Buddha did not necessarily give the Four Noble Truths to everyone that became his disciple. That's really essential to understand. Because if, and, and I've seen this over and over again, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more in depth, the mis- uh, understanding uh, and miscommunication uh, of the first noble truth, especially if you do it on your own without the guidance of a Sangha member or a member of the clergy or someone who has studied or uh, attained the deep understanding, the wisdom of the, of the noble truths. Very easy to be misguided because, again, uh, we're following, we're interpreting through everything through our desires which, of course, as we see here, will be the cause of our downfall, the cause of our uh, torment, etc. But that when people studied Buddhism during the Buddhist time, it's essential to know that these teachings were not necessarily given to everyone. So when you became a Buddhist, they didn't necessarily hand you a book. First, what did the Buddha teach, right? The Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. No. What was taught for the majority of people... Uh, through many of the Buddhist sermons, if we if we look at them, are how to be a good householder. Of course, the essence of these teachings were transmitted, but in the fact that we had different uh, different practitioners, such as we understand the four types of practitioners, right? Laymen, laywomen, uh, monks, and nuns that constitute the Sangha. They were taught according to their um, understanding, so that. The point is, just because we can get information, just because we can purchase information, just because we can find information, that is actually the incorrect and actually even uh, neg potentially negative way to understanding Buddhism. Because in that, we construe, we make our own constructs based on our own understanding, of course, as we see through our own ignorant understanding, and therefore can take on a certain direction and even interpret Buddhism in a different direction than the Buddha intended. And this is, for instance, the idea of suffering beings looking at reality. We are ignorant. So therefore, how we interpret reality is by through our own perception, our own ignorance uh, or lack of perception. So it's very important to know that the Buddha's teachings were given to people based on wisdom, not necessarily on availability. So therefore, householders would understand, for instance, relationships with family members, relationship with community, etc., and that these teachings were inculcated into them. But there weren't specifically the Four Noble Truths, as we know doctrinally, given to people as a teaching. It, based, it was based primarily on their ability to comprehend. 
So therefore, the Buddha used many exper expedients. So that's very essential to understand because, again, we don't have context. The majority of people understanding Buddhism think that the Buddha, this is how Buddhism was taught because this is how, when they go online, the first teaching that they see, or if in a basic book of what is Buddhism, you'll find the Four Noble Truths for sure. And if one looks at it through the lens of ignorance, it's very easy to see the noble truth as perhaps something being negative. That is a constant um, uh, question from people. And also it is something that's used in uh, apologetics of other religions towards Buddhism. Is that they see the first noble truth as life is full of suffering uh, as being a negative. Uh, but actually... This teaching is neither pessimistic nor optimistic, but is giving us a diagnosis of the reality of our uh, challenges, what we're all looking for, but yet we cannot um, exclaim, we cannot understand, we cannot see. It's interesting because this is another issue, that when we say that life is full of suffering, suffering is caused by such and such, which we'll go into, I remember first reading this for the Four Noble Truths as being a, a monk. And it's interesting because the I, the individual, looks at this teaching and goes, well, I'm not suffering as much as other people. Or I, I'm pretty sad, I'm pretty okay with my life, gotten everything I wanted, uh, I've been able to do what I wish, go where I please, etc., it was interesting how immediately we write this off and then say, okay, well, this is just an understanding so I can help other people. But in reality, the ego, the I, is always saying, well, I'm not suffering. But actually, today, as I give you this lecture, through the practice of Buddhism, I understand what this concept of suffering is. Like, for instance, uh, today, a very painful back situation that I was born with scoliosis uh, also, the observation of suffering, as we'll see through the four types of suffering, one being uh, old age when observing one's parents uh, in decline and having to take care of them and support them. That actually is a very um, scary and uh, sobering experience for people, especially when one realizes um, with something or someone so close to them that potentially that is their fate, that is our fate. And when we see that, it is very easy to immediately go, well, that doesn't apply to me. But this word suffering is usually the most misunderstood aspect of this particular um, teaching. And, and that basic concept is something called dukkha. And dukkha has a few different contexts, and, and a lot of the uh, teachings of that area, including Jainism, Vedism, Yoga, etc., uses this concept of dukkha, which can mean sorrow, suffering, or pain, which can mean physical pain as well, or mental pain, uh, such as sorrow, or unhappiness, or mental anguish. But this word, as I was taught by my teacher, the, the more, you know, this is something we're always trying to clarify with our practice and study. This word suffering, I, I, I believe, in, in my understanding and from what 
my teachers and I have done is paring down and trying to make more direct and more specific. The word unsatisfactory, which is actually a part of the idea concept of dukkha, uh, is a more relevant term in the in this Buddhist sense. And what the Four Noble Truths is saying, not necessarily just saying life is suffering, good luck, you have no hope. It's saying, what can we do about it? And again, it's very important that we at this time pay attention to our personal um, experiences, our personal family karma, because you are you may majority of people listening to this probably speak English, so perhaps are from from a Judeo-Christian background uh, in which we understand we we look through the lens of the idea of suffering differently or from the modern sense which has been over the last hundred years the idea of science um, looking at Buddhism through that lens but it's very important that as I've stated in many other podcasts that we do this from a very particular Buddhist point that we understand the basis of Buddhism because if we look at that we look at the idea that the, the concept of the middle way and the idea of the middle way being that between pain and sensual desire. Or, even if you look at it, it's the difference between annihilation or eternalism. So annihilation would be the idea of nothing after death, a zit, zip, or eternalism, the idea of there being something that uh, of heaven, of some place where you go eternally, etc. Now, again, we'll, we'll get into the concept of the Mahayana and even Nichiren Buddhism because we may be going, well, wait a second, there's the eternal Buddha. And that's a very important aspect. But what I'm stating here is that it's very important that you realize that in Buddhism we have to be mindful, aware of our limitations, of our karmas that we inherit both from our parents and from our culture. And then as we go through, what is the difference in this concept of the goal of the Four Noble Truths between the Theravada and Mahayana, and I would even say the Lotus Sutra? It's very important to, to understand this. But in my last point about the idea of annihilation and eternalism, the concept of rebirth is a very important aspect of Buddhism. Many people believe that they will accept the Buddhist teaching without uh, the idea of rebirth and that this concept of rebirth is kind of uh, extra, that it's not necessarily necessary in the practice of Buddhism. But in actuality, this concept of rebirth is an awareness of the idea of suffering. Because when we go into the types of dukkha, the types of suffering, we see that the causes of suffering, the types of suffering, are very much in this idea of why, um, even if we go to another world, what we consider the heavenly realm, uh, there is still suffering. The heavenly realm within the ten worlds is still within the uh, realm, the six realms of reincarnation, of rebirth. So it's very important to understand that escapism such as eternalism being reborn into a heaven or the idea of annihilation are not uh, Buddhist teachings and the Buddha specifically talks about this in the Nirvana Sutra as a misunderstanding 
uh, and actually that it is contrary uh, in a heretical teaching to Buddhism. So according to Buddhism, what is suffering? Well, there are eight major sufferings, particular to human beings. The first are having the three root sufferings as the basis for our concept of dukkha. We human beings go through the cycle of our life, which is the eight types of suffering. From nobody can escape. Not one person has ever overcome except for the Buddha through his realization. They are the four major experiences of suffering in human life, as I stated previously. First is the suffering of birth. People will say, well, birth is very positive. But I remember a monk once said, which was very interesting, he was confused that why are people happy but cry at a death? Right? Why at a birth people are happy? Why aren't they sad? Because a birth, of course, as we know, leads ultimately to death. And, of course, suffering of taking birth, old age, as I explained, being able to see our loved ones, age, uh, sickness, end of dying, and death. Uh, those particular sufferings in our human life are those that are specifically, as we see in the Buddha's story, he observes them through the four sightings. They are, they are then accompanied by four secondary types of suffering in the human life. The suffering of worrying about facing harsh, harsh or terrible situations. That is being afraid, fear, which is what usually most people's lives are based on. The next being separation from loved ones and things that we love and desire. And the, the next being not achieving what one wishes. Don't you feel this every day? What is the purpose of life? If I, don't, if I don't get this, if I don't do that, will my life have meaning? That kind of worry. And then being able to achieve something and it not being the end of ends. That it becoming unsatisfactory. And, of course, encountering unwanted situations. Why can't life be the way I want it to be? Uh, especially for with all those bothersome and troublesome people that we seem to have uh, in our life. That is very important to understand. So we have to understand in Buddhism this continuation of consciousness that with the idea of dying young or dying old, it doesn't necessarily, um, it doesn't at all, not necessarily, it doesn't at all relieve us from suffering in general or the unsatisfactoriness of life. So it's important that we realize through these types of suffering that this is a task, a direction, something that the Buddha asks us to realize, to come to understanding of through wisdom. Then as he progresses through this awareness, we task ourselves in our daily life to have this fully experienced and that to realize the core of suffering the core of this unsatisfactoriness is indeed ignorance and this ignorance is what we need to uh, enlighten to dispel to dissipate to dissipate in our consciousness and as I was speaking before the last thing I want to mention is that in teaching these 
early Buddhist teachings. It's very easy for people to both find contradiction uh, and trouble in bringing it to the practice of the Mahayana or of the Lotus Sutra. And the Buddha, again, which is very important, reiterates this teaching properly within the Nirvana Sutra, which is the last sutra that is uh, equated to the Buddha before passing. And the Buddha says that actually the enlightenment, the awakening, the middle way, is the Bodhisattva path, which is through the true teachings, which, of course, our founder Nichiren Shonen understood as the Lotus Sutra. And then in actuality, we are not looking for the end to be the actual dissolution or uh, disappearance of the nature, that is, attaining Nibbana and then going into nothingness, removing oneself from the cycle of birth and death. But in actuality, the way of the Bodhisattva is the enlightenment of the Buddha. The way of the Bodhisattva is the true purpose for the Buddhist teaching. And as we see in chapter 16 of the Lotus Sutra, this is the purpose of the Buddha. To quickly and efficiently allow beings to attain enlightenment. This is the way of the Bodhisattva way in which this teaching is able to uh, be spread to all beings. And that all beings together with us be able to attain enlightenment. So... From this day on, you should task yourself with being aware of that we do not simply follow life, that we do not simply follow uh, our, our instincts, that we do not simply follow our desires, and that we really take a good look at life. And this is, of course, an out Buddhist outlook of reality in that everything that we see, and you can try, and we try throughout our entire life, hopefully you've come to a place where you realize that nothing besides the Buddha Dharma, besides the teaching of the Lotus Sutra, the full capacity, the full teaching, the full purpose of the Buddha is able to relieve this uh, symptom of suffering. And that the medicine that we are given by the eternal Buddha, Namumyo Horengi Kyo, is the medicine that is to be administered to us and that we as Bodhisattvas administer it to the world. This is the true concept of the uh, middle way, as according to Mahayana. And that simply we shouldn't look for one's own personal extinction or removal from suffering. But in actuality, through our great vow, through our enlightenment, in the enlightenment, is the removal of suffering, is the removal of ignorance, and that we are able to walk and talk and see and be able to save all sentient beings. Uh, being able to manifest the vow of the eternal Buddha as found in the Lotus Sutra. So I hope that this was very helpful for you in understanding the first noble truth, and we will continue on. Thank you. Namu myoho renge kyo.